This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Glad to have you with us. Kentucky is slowly reopening some things, and it's a lot different with limits and rules on customers. Later, we'll be talking about retail businesses trying to find their way back after being shut down for weeks. Todd Griffin of the Retail Federation will join us shortly. But first, we'll focus on restaurants. Of course, some restaurants won't make it going forward. The food barn at the summit at Fritz Farm in Lexington is apparently closed for good. Others are open now with limited seating and other restrictions and requirements and kind of testing the waters. So what are the challenges ahead and how much will restaurants be transitioning to a more long-term hybrid of dine-in and carry-out options? Joining us first today is Stacy Roof, who is the president of the Kentucky Restaurant Association. Stacy, thank you so much uh, for being with us. We appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me. You know, restaurants were just roaring heading into March and, of course, preparing for uh, basketball crowds and other spring events like Easter and Mother's Day and then the pandemic. And so many were shut down, had very few options as to what they could do. Others went to pick up only. It is not an easy business, even in the best of times. But how tough have these recent weeks been for restaurants? They've been devastating, um, as you alluded to, losing that March, April, and most of May income uh, is just, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Restaurants typically make uh, less than five cents on every dollar, so it's a volume and numbers game. And um, being closed down all the way certainly removes some of your overhead. Uh, but rent still do, and you still have some people that you're you're paying. You know, we have about 200,000 employees in the state, and it's estimated that 80 or 85 percent of them were were furloughed or laid off. So that's a huge number. The economic impact in April alone was the loss of about 550 million dollars in revenue. So it's a big hit. Yeah, I mean, and these are people who have to. Uh, the owners have to pay their uh, their leases. Uh, their, their ongoing expenses even if they were able to let the employees go and, and, and get on unemployment for a time, right? That's correct. Yeah, there are a lot of things that go into the business, um, not the least of which is making sure that even if you're closed and you're maybe doing curbside or carry out and delivery, you still have to make sure that all of your cleaning and sanitizing, you know, and then some is, is on par. Yeah. How helpful was it for the restaurants that opted for pickup and delivery uh, in the state to relaxed rules on uh, alcoholic drinks allowed to, those to be sent along with meals? Uh, was that uh, was that helpful uh, right in the, the thick of all of this? Yes, it was very helpful. It was something that we actually pushed for and I'm so glad that it happened the way it did. And I hope we see it continue. Our operators have really been able to use that um, to sell some of the inventory, particularly of wine uh, or other spirits that they had. And, um, you know, there's not as much labor tied to that when you sell that. So it's been a real help uh, to get them through these last few weeks. This was an executive order. So your hope now is that uh, when it comes to uh, having the ability to deliver alcohol, that will become uh, legislation and, and permanent law? Yes, and we're seeing other states do that as well. 
There was already this trend toward more pickup and delivery before this uh, sudden situation made that the norm for a time. Did you see restaurants now going forward uh, having a more hybrid model uh, with a, a sit down experience and more takeout options? Yes, and I think as customers um, gain confidence, uh, we can't just flip a switch. People aren't going to immediately go back to what they did um, normally three months ago. So I, I do think that we'll see a lot of restaurants kind of keep what's been working for them in play. They want to sell whatever they can sell to whoever will buy it in whatever way is convenient. And if that means that they'll keep delivering or they've bumped up their carryout or curbside efforts, then I think you'll see that a lot going forward because now the name of the game is making customers happy and and keeping them comfortable comfortable with all the ways that they can receive the food that we create. It would seem this third-party delivery business is, uh, is here to stay, wouldn't you think? Yes, it is. Uh, some of them are easier to deal with than others, but um, a lot of restaurants do their own delivery, especially the last few last two months, because they are able to utilize some of their personnel that way. Some restaurant operators have told us that they are not in position uh, yet to reopen to uh, to uh, in-store dining, or at least uh, they don't feel quite comfortable uh, just jumping in right now, uh, as much as the state would allow. What are some of the factors that cause people to take different approaches to uh, to moving forward? Uh, I think it's just options. You know, um, some people are, they know their staff well. They know who's able to come back immediately. They know who may have child care issues and not be able to come back really well into June. Um, so there are many, many factors. They know their business. They know their customers. Maybe they're not a reservations-based model, and that could come into play there. Uh, but our point and our position has always been we'd like for them to have as many options at their disposal as they can have. And if that means they choose to wait a few weeks, see how things happen, um, maybe they're working on an outdoor option that's not quite ready yet. Maybe they're doing some remodeling. I know a lot of our operators have taken the last um, two months or so and done some projects inside the restaurant, uh, refinishing floors and painting and, um, again, utilizing their staff members wherever mm -hmm. possible, replacing kitchen equipment and, you know, completely changing menus and looking at things that uh, are downsizing their menus, you know, so that they're doable more easily. So really, options is the name of the game. We want them to do what's best for their business and to choose what works for them. Are your members telling you that it will be difficult as a business model for restaurants to reopen and be profitable uh, while operating at one-third of their normal seating capacity? Yes, that's really challenging. Um, in the couple of conversations we had with the governor's office, um, when I was asked about 25%, I said, absolutely not. That number just won't work for operators. It doesn't make sense to open at that number. Uh, I suggested opening at no less than 50% to begin with, and then they came out with 33 so um, it is nice that they're able to use outdoor dining uh, as much as they can, uh, you know, still with social distancing, but they're, for operators that have space outside, that, that will be a significant help.
How helpful is it that uh, many cities across the state are apparently in the process of relaxing the rules or even closing down streets to give mm -hmm. restaurants uh, more outdoor space to, to have some tables uh, outside where uh, they can have uh, many more people uh, come to their place of business? That's been great to see. Um, we've seen it here. I live in Louisville, um, and we've been talking to cities all over the state, really, and we've shared language that we helped draft uh, with input uh, to some mayors and kind of gotten that out to some, some other cities as, as model language, really. That's a huge help. Whatever cities and towns can do to help these businesses, I think it's great. And I think that there's a difference in walking down the street uh, or parking your car and seeing a business outside. There's a comfort level, I think, that we have with outdoors and outdoor air and not being inside a building. And if that helps right now, then we're all for it. Al fresco dining, right? Yes. <laughs> out in the, uh, in the air. Is it hard for restaurants to, uh, and, you, and you mentioned that the child care being, a, it is going to be a challenge for some right now. Mm -hmm. Well, it is not open, and, uh, and some of the servers uh, are apparently going to try to get back to work. But is it hard for restaurants to uh, get their workforces back in order uh, for a variety of reasons, including that many are receiving unemployment and mm -hmm. uh, may not be ready to get back out uh, among the general public just yet? You know, I think that uh, different businesses have different challenges in that area. I know most of our operators have maintained regular and routine contact with their team. You know, some have weekly calls, some just do one-on-one, -on -one, but uh, they know who is ready and when, and they've kind of got that staggered approach. That's one good thing, I guess, about uh, capacity ramping up. They'll know, you know, when we get a new date and when the capacity increases, then, you know, they'll know when that next wave of, of people can come back. But, uh, yeah, challenging always for staffing our restaurants. We're never, ever fully staffed, even in the best of economic times with unemployment so low. So um, I think this is a good opportunity for them just to have increased that relationship with their staff members and to know what each, you know, really prefer going forward. How long do you think it is going to take the uh, restaurant industry to recover from this uh, tremendous setback? There will be some who uh, obviously will not reopen. Yes. Uh, I, you know, again, I think it's different for every operator. It depends on how, how well uh, financed they were going into this, what kind of reserves did they have, what kind of relationship do they have uh, with their landlord or do they own their own space, um, how big, do they have partners, so there are a lot of factors there, uh, but I think that our economy as a whole, it's going to take a while, you know, this time next year, I hope that things look what we consider to be, you know, what, what look, used to look normal to us. Um, but I think that it's a it's a big hole that we have to dig out of, and we're we're a ways away from from financial stability for many of our restaurants. There may not be a typical restaurant operator, but there certainly are some traits that many of them have, and I would have to think that hard work and willingness to do that uh, is uh, one of those that would be top of the list. 
Definitely, and it is not an easy business. <laughs> we have to comply with so many regulations, permitting, license holding. You know, we've got the ABC, the health departments, you've got cities, you've got state. Um, there are a lot of things to comply with, but at the end of the day, we're a people business. We employ, you know, the second largest amount of people outside healthcare in the private industry in Kentucky, and you know, we're people heavy and we want to make people happy when they come into our businesses. We want to bring them their favorite food or drink items. And, you know, it's been very hard to not have those dining rooms open, but I have seen some huge creativity. Our operators are amazing and continue just to show me how resilient they are. And, uh, you know, just to see all the different things that they thought of, meal kits and the to-go orders and, and all of the you know, virtual wine dinners and um, virtual coffee meetings and things. It's just been fantastic to see all of that develop. And some uh, temporary measures may become uh, permanent solutions, you know, as, uh, as things yeah. go forward. It'll be interesting to see what, uh, uh, what endures out of this. You mentioned that you would like the state legislature in 2021 to consider legalizing uh, alcohol delivery permanently from restaurants. Anything else that the restaurant industry will be pushing at lawmakers for uh, in Kentucky in the, in the coming months? Mm, that's a good question. You know, our board meets um, again in a couple of weeks virtually, of course. And those are things that we talk about all of the time. Right now, you know, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. We just uh, closed our our 2020 session out not too long ago in an, you know, in an like a, a strange situation, right. I guess, that had never taken place. So it's a little too early to tell what that will look like for us. Well, we appreciate you uh, very much uh, for taking time to speak with us, and uh, hopefully uh, good luck to the restaurants out there and it all uh, works out for them, uh, however they uh, go forward. Stacy Roof, president of the Kentucky Restaurant Association. And we hope you'll stay with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. In just a moment, retail stores reopened this week. How is that going? We'll hear from the Kentucky Retail Federation coming up next. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. After weeks of being shut down, retail businesses are slowly reopening. They're under tight restrictions, including limits on how many customers can be inside at a time. It likely won't be an easy road back. Some have made it clear that they may not make it in the long run, but most are giving it their best. Joining us this morning to talk about it, Todd Griffin, who is the president of the Kentucky Retail Federation. Thank you very much uh, for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Bill. Appreciate it. As we're uh, heading into the weekend, as we're taping this, we're just a couple of days into the reopening of retail uh, right now. How's it going so far? We think uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, we're excited for retailers to, to open their doors back up for those that have had to, unfortunately, be shut down temporarily. Um, but uh, we're, we're hearing good reports overall. Our team was out canvassing the Louisville and Lexington area on Wednesday, and uh, traffic seemed to be uh, uh, pretty good. Uh, traffic's picked up quite a bit in those two areas in, in particular. <laughs> um, some stores, of course, had reopened on Wednesday, and some chose not to reopen yet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, they're, they're just sort of standing by and kind of waiting to see, or maybe they weren't ready. Uh, some did soft reopenings as well, yeah. uh, doing appointments with customers, 
and uh, and those types of things. But overall, very very pleased with how the reopening's gone. This was just jolting for retail. They were rolling right along and rolling out their spring merchandise. The economy was uh, humming along, and then the pandemic meant that most of them had to lock their doors for weeks. How did businesses uh, cope with that during that time uh, when they couldn't even let customers in? I assume you got a lot of calls uh, looking for advice. Oh, it was unbelievable, you know, and. The, the fear of the unknown uh, kicked in very rapidly. We had retailers uh, that that were, well, first of all, we didn't know which part of retail or any retail that might be allowed to remain open. Uh, we had a very quick phone call organized by the governor and his staff to uh, meet with some of the larger retailers in the state. And, uh, you know, he, he pledged to, to offer resources and, and information and uh, to help them do what was needed to take care of customers. And then, of course, some of the ones that he deemed uh, non-life-sustaining or non-essential were forced to close, and we did receive a lot of phone calls, a lot of questions, mm -hmm. um, and we just tried to work through those as much as we could. Now, the good thing, I will say, is that Governor Bashir did uh, allow retailers to offer curbside and delivery services all retailers could continue to do that and that saved a lot of retailers uh, tremendously they were at least able to, to maintain some kind of basic operations and uh, at least keep a bare bones staff on board and continue to to serve their customers and in talk, the local communities. You represent both uh, large and small retailers, so how difficult was it uh, for the fact that, you know, the, the, the big box stores got to keep their doors open, deemed essential, typically they had uh, groceries and medicine, liquor, the kinds of things that were deemed to be essential, uh, and the some of the uh, more, in some cases, local and smaller places uh, had to keep their doors locked. It created an unlevel playing field, I'll be honest with you, in an unfair situation. And even the governor remarked in one of his uh, daily briefings that this virus is not fair and it picks winners and losers. And he had to make the call of uh, which which winners and losers there, there were in the economy. And uh, there have been a lot of losers. Uh, we're just excited that we'll be able to come back online and, and hopefully get these stores back open and get the economy going again. The move to uh, online sales was growing very quickly already. Uh, so much of business has uh, shifted to that. And during these closures, so much more rapidly went there. Uh, so often people uh, here in Kentucky are dealing with global or national companies with little connection to their local communities, but then the local businesses make the point that they're paying taxes, they're paying rent, they're employing local people. Is that fact enough of a lure for customers to, uh, to shop locally, do you think? We've seen a tremendous amount of support at the local level. Uh, retailers at the local level also have been very creative. I think a lot of the uh, smaller shop owners who maybe have been sitting on the sidelines, not really sure whether or not they needed to dip their toe in the water and, and online and social media channels have really, uh, this virus has really expedited that. And a lot of them have, and a lot of them have found great success in, in, in using those channels to market to their customers. And, you know, again, the local communities, uh, the support there has been tremendous folks buying uh, uh, gift certificates during the pandemic when stores have had this shut down and continuing to order, you know, curbside and delivery. 
it's really been remarkable to see the support of local retailers across the, the, the Commonwealth. Did a lot of retailers come to have issues with their landlords uh, during this period of time with their leases and rents due? And did you uh, assist them in uh, trying to work out some of those matters? That's a great question. And it's not one that's really come up a lot in the media. Uh, the media, I think, has not been really covering that very much uh, in general. But it is a great concern of ours going forward, what the commercial real estate market's gonna look like, what retail lease uh, space is gonna look like, and, and what those re lease prices uh, will be in the future. We did have uh, many retailers that went to their landlords and had to ask for a um, postponement of their monthly rents or maybe a partial payment. And for the most part, I think we heard that, that the landlords were very good in working with them to, to at least uh, keep things moving along and let them survive long enough to get this over with. We didn't get into the specifics with members uh, in those negotiations, but certainly we've heard about it. What are some trends that uh, you might be seeing in retail right now uh, with this uh, ongoing situation that customers may not have detected just yet? Yeah, I think retail will be different going forward. You know, we know from studies that about 20 or 30% of the shoppers out there will choose not to go back initially. Um, there'll be about a 10% or so uh, part of the population that are chomping at the bit to get back. You know, shopping is a great pastime for many people and they're anxious to get back in the stores to have that shopping experience. But I think the shopping experience will be different. Um, you know, the, the whole um, uh, experience of trying on clothing, for instance, or trying out uh, fiddling with electronics or playing with toys before purchasing them. You know, that's gonna be a, li a little different, uh, a lot more online. Uh, use of new technology like virtual dressing rooms and fitting rooms, I think will, will be more adopted. And, um, you know, retailers are creative. They're, they're good business people. and. And at the end of the day, they want to create a good, safe, enjoyable shopping experience for their customers, and uh, they'll get it done. They'll figure figure out new ways for the customer to still have that great shopping experience. The school year is a question mark uh, in lots of ways for uh, public schools as well as for our colleges and universities. Most of them want to try uh, to open up that school year as normally as they can, but how important will that be uh, to retailers, especially people in the clothing and school supplies of any kind, uh, you know, that that happen? Yeah, that'll be hugely important. You know, I was glad that the, the governor uh, on Thursday night announced that he had two goals really in mind. Number one was to get the economy back on track and, and reopen businesses. And then the second was to make sure that our students could go back to school in the fall. So, you know, we know what the goals are for the state. Uh, it's imperative that everyone uh, is on the same page and trying to reach those and to do their part in being responsible, not only as shoppers, but as, uh, you know, just Kentuckians in general and help their, their fellow Kentuckians in doing that. But yeah, the back to school uh, shopping season is a is almost as big as Christmas and the holidays uh, for some retailers. And I know that they're um, anxious to know what to do as far as ordering school supplies and stocking up on those. I mean, they're doing that right now to try to get ready and put, put uh, orders in place for the right type of inventory. So, you know, that's one thing that a lot of folks don't think about is the movement of inventory and uh, the lag times in, in inventory. There were a lot of retailers that had inventory ready to go, and I think you mentioned that 
uh, earlier for the spring shopping season. Um, that inventory will need to be moved out now for um, very quickly. So, you know, customers may see some, some pretty good opportunities and sales on some of that merchandise. And then uh, as retailers move into the back to school season and then the holiday season, you know, they're already, they've already made those orders for yeah. that. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and, and the inventory that moves through the stores as we go forward. Well, it certainly will be a uh, spring clearance sales for the spring that uh, kind of didn't happen. All right, yeah. uh, Todd, we appreciate you very much uh, for uh, taking some time with us. We appreciate that very much. And uh, we'll talk to you later on about what uh, you might have as far as an agenda for the legislature coming in next year. We appreciate you. And stay with us here on Kentucky Newsmakers. We will be right back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We are now several months into the COVID-19 pandemic. There is still no vaccine nor a proven treatment. President Trump is continuing to tout a drug, hydroxychloroquine, without clear proof that it works. Our national political analyst explains. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. Controversy and confusion surrounding hydroxychloroquine Researchers hope the malaria drug will cure COVID-19, but recent studies have been inconclusive. Small trials showed promise, others showed little to no benefit. Some studies saw a higher rate of death in COVID-19 patients taking the drug. Others barely saw a difference. Meanwhile, the FDA warning against using the drug outside a hospital or clinical setting. It says hydroxychloroquine can cause life-threatening heart issues, but it doesn't say the risk level, high risk or low risk, big difference. And news from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, President Trump says he takes hydroxychloroquine every day. I think it gives you an additional level of safety, but you can ask many doctors are in favor of it. I spoke to Dr. Anyema Obuagu, an associate professor of medicine at Yale University, to learn more about hydroxychloroquine. I take it, and I, I'm not a doctor, but that um, if you have, uh, if you're an older person without any heart issues or a younger person without any heart issues, that the younger person is probably a little bit more, is a little safer than the older person. That is correct. Um, again, I just want to be clear that, um, you know, anecdotes about tolerability of a drug or efficacy of your drug by single individuals are, are not science. And that's why there's a lot of effort to to, to rigorously study the effect, the efficacy and safety of hydroxychloroquine. I think that, you know, there are multiple studies now and that evidence is building that there could be a lack of benefit, but more concerning are the potential risks of harms for users. Want more Full Court Press? Check out our weekday show, Full Court Press Now. And as always, tune in on Sunday. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 11.30 on WKYT. Thank you so much for being with us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm going to take a couple days off this week. I'll see you later in the week on WKYT News. But we're always here bright and early with WKYT this morning. And you make it a good week ahead.